Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your ghost, Christopher, and with me as always is my guest, Lydia. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> That's not my best. <laughs> well, I was waiting for some kind of gangster comment, but you know, hey, we'll oh, go with that. yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I, I kind of wrote some of this stuff over the course of a couple of days, and one day I was just a little, uh, a little maybe tired and under the weather. The other day I was fine. So yeah, it kind of just depends it's just on one letter what off. day it's I wrote close, it. Very close. That totally works. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Lydia? Welcome back. This is so awesome to talk to you yeah, once again. Yeah, as always, I enjoy our week, our weekly, our monthly meetings. <laughs> <laughs> weekly <laughs> hey, do, yeah. oh god not another yeah <laughs> i can barely do i can barely do this and then one i and then time shifters with every two weeks it's all i can do hey um i don't know if you noticed this when i i posted it in the facebook group but uh i sent the link of our podcast on uh backroom boy to vera francis and she actually listened to the whole show. No, I did not see that. Yes. I need to get on Facebook more often. And when do you hear yeah. people say that? <laughs> <laughs> well, just in case, I, I saved the email so I could read it to you real well, quick. hurrah. That's awesome. Yep. She says that she really enjoyed hearing your views on the film and pleased that you clearly understood the English humor. Thank you both for your very kind assessment of my portrayal of Jane. It's nice to know that another generation can also enjoy my work. She says, both of you and both you and your co-presenter, and I like that so much. I love the British. You're not a co-host. You're a co-presenter. I like that. I'm going to start using that. Both you and your co-presenter seemed very curious about the film sets. Well, I can tell you everything was built in the studios at Shepherd's Bush. Neat. The lighthouse interior was built in different sections, and each room was a separate set. There was also a huge water tank, which included the rocks and part exterior of the lighthouse, mm -hmm. rope bridge, etc., the escape to the minefield was also filmed there. <laughs> so thank you very much, Miss Francis, for for sitting that and clarifying. I was very good. Absolutely. I'm glad she enjoyed the episode. I'm thrilled that she listened. That's so wonderful. Yeah, I was very, very, very pleased. I'm very happy that she enjoyed it, and I'm glad that she liked it. Uh, I, I think it, I, we both enjoyed it, and I think that <laughs> came through, and that, uh, she obviously picked up on that. Well, if you want to be like Vera Francis and <laughs> listen to the podcast... <laughs> You can do that, uh, of course, by subscribing to iTunes or going to Stitcher Radio or Google Play. You can join our Facebook group. Just go to facebook.com and slash for Orphan Entertainment. You can send us an email, just like Vera did, at orphanentertainment at gmail.com. And if you want to see Backroom Boy and many of the other films that we've covered here on the podcast and the films that we're going to be covering in the future as, they, as I post them, you can go to our YouTube page and watch there. And I didn't even realize this until the other day. I hadn't checked in a while. We've got over 1,000 subscribers on our YouTube wow. page now. Yeah, I know. When we get to 10,000, we'll do a giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure what we can give away, but sure, sure, we can do that. Uh, so if you're listening, if you've come to us from the YouTube page, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you. I hope you're enjoying the films, and I hope you enjoy our reviews of them. All that being said, we're going to take a break for a five-minute mystery and another promo from another fine podcast. And when we get back, we're going to discuss 1943's The Ghost and the Guest. Another five-minute mystery.
over the loudspeaker system in Manor Hospital, a voice has been calling for hours. Dr. Cabot, please report to Dr. Reisner's office. Dr. Cabot, report to Dr. Reisner's office. Dr. Cabot, report to Dr. Reisner's office. I've had a call out for him for several hours, Mrs. Cabot, but we haven't been able to locate him. I'll let you know as soon as I hear anything. Goodbye. Oh, yes, Miss Burdick. Dr. Reisner, Dr. Reisner, come quickly. Dr. Cabot's been murdered and all the radium stolen. What's that? Operator, operator, get me the police, hurry. Dr. Cabot, report to Dr. Reisner's office. Dr. Cabot, report to Dr. Reisner. Now, let's get this straight, Miss Burdick. You say you were walking along the corridor. That's right, Lieutenant Fletcher. And I heard a noise that sounded like kicking on a door. That was just outside of radiology? Yes, Dr. Reisner. I knew no one should have been in there, so I opened the closet where the noise seemed to be coming from. And you found the body of Dr. Cabot and the orderly. Uh, what's his name? Gorman. Dr. Cabot had been stabbed many times and was still tied and blindfolded. The radium bolt was open and had been ransacked. Thank you, Miss Burdick. Lieutenant, I think Gorman is coming around now. Perhaps he can tell us something. I'll try him. Gorman. Gorman, wake up. Jim. Jim, come on. Yes, yes. Who did it, Gorman? Uh, Who did it? Two men. How did it happen? I came in in the middle. They had the vault open and Dr. Cabot was gagged and blindfolded, just like you see him now. Did they see you? Not at first. I I saw Dr. Cabot through a crack in the door. I I knew something had to be done fast, so I opened the door very quietly. Where were the men? They were in the corner, working on the safe. I walked in on tiptoe and saw them. I caught Dr. Cabot's attention, and he motioned for me to come ahead. But they still didn't notice you? Uh, No, sir. Then the chair Dr. Cabot was sitting on creaked, and one of them turned around. Then what happened? Everything. First they grabbed me and bound and blindfolded me, just like Miss Burdick found me, and then Dr. Cabot began to struggle. Did he get loose? No, Dr. Reisner, but for a moment it looked as if he would. They got very panicky and stabbed him with a scalpel. Both of them, or only one? No, it, uh, it was the younger one. I see. For a moment, I thought they'd use that knife on me, but they gave me a hypodermic needle instead. That knocked me out till Miss Burdick found me. Do you think you can describe the man, Gorman? Oh, sure. Uh, but do you mind if I rest before I do it, Lieutenant? Never mind, Gorman. I won't let you overtax your imagination. Instead, I'll arrest you right now for the murder of Dr. Cabot. Why did Lieutenant Fletcher arrest the orderly Gorman? In a moment, he'll tell you himself. But first... We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. And now, let's see if you listen to Gorman's story as carefully as Lieutenant Fletcher did. But, Lieutenant... I don't see how you knew Gorman wasn't telling the truth. Gorman said that when he entered the vault, Cabot motioned for him to come ahead. But Cabot was wearing a blindfold. Later, when Gorman was supposed to have been blindfolded and tied, he described which of the two imaginary robbers murdered Dr. Cabot. When I heard that, I knew that the blindfold, that blindfold, was just a gag.
right. Now, this is actually going to be, we're, we're, when we are recording this, is actually a little early, but this is going to be our October episode. So this actually works out really well. <laughs> we kind of have a ghost story for October. Didn't even plan it, but that's the way it worked <laughs> out. The Ghost and the Guest is a 1943 film directed by William Nye. Nye was a fairly prolific director with a total of 119 films, the last being in 1948. Most of his films were in the B-movie category, and he worked mainly in the kind of Poverty Row studios, such as Monogram Pictures, where he directed several Charlie Chan and East Side Kids films. This film was based on a story by Milt Gross, who uh, was a primarily a cartoonist and animator. His work is noted for its exaggerated style and Yiddish-inflected English dialogue. Now, the screenplay was penned by Maury Amsterdam. Maury was a vaudeville comedian who started his career as the straight man for his older brother's jokes. And he worked from club to club and actually found himself working in a speakeasy that was owned by none other than Al Capone. Wow. After getting caught in the middle of a gunfight, he moved to California (laughs) and began writing. His ability to come up with a joke on any subject earned him the nickname the Human Joke Machine. There's a lot of great stories about Maury where people would just throw out a word and he'd be able to come up with a joke just just like that. So pretty, uh, pretty talented man. He had a busy career throughout the 40s and 50s, appearing on and writing for numerous radio and television shows, as well as being a songwriter. But the role he may be most recognized for is his comedy writer, Buddy Sorrell, on The Dick Van Dyke Mm -hmm. Show, which ran from 1961 to 1966. The role was suggested uh, for him by his friend, Rose Marie, who also appeared on the show. The show's creator, Carl Reiner, based the character on his friend, Mel Brooks. <laughs> like Amsterdam, Buddy had a quip for any situation. Buddy was also one of the rare Jewish characters on TV in that era. And there was actually one episode that revolved around him uh, deciding to have a belated uh, bar mitzvah. <laughs> Did you ever watch the, some of the Dick Van Dyke oh, show? Oh, yeah. Especially when we were kids and we weren't allowed to watch anything suggestive. Oh, right. That was a big one for us. <laughs> I, I didn't understand most of it because I was a bit young. I discovered it late. I came to it pretty late. I think it wasn't until probably sometime in the late 90s or something when wow. I finally got like cable again and something like TV land came around <laughs> and I just kind of flipping the channels like oh you know I've never seen a Dick Van Dyke show and then I watched it and I thought oh, this is the most one of the funniest things I've ever seen in it's my very life funny through the 70s and 80s and even the 90s Maury made the occasional film or TV appearance sometimes appearing as a panelist on the game show match game in Hollywood squares and his final appearance was in 1996 in an episode of Caroline in the City, where he guest starred with his Dick Van Dyke co-star, Rose Marie. He unfortunately passed away later that year from a heart attack at the age of 87. Now, a real quick mention of some of her film stars. James Dunn, who plays Webster Fry, had a mostly unremarkable career, really. <laughs> Uh, With the exception of his role in the 1945 film A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, in which he snagged an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. And I want to send a thanks to a Facebook group member, Lou Luminick, for uh, mentioning that and bringing that up in the group. Yeah, absolutely. I also wanted to mention my favorite actor in this film, Sam McDaniel, who played Fry's uh, butler manservant, Harmony Jones. Mm -hmm. 
He was the older brother of actress Hattie McDaniel, who was, of course, very famous for being the first African-American to win an Academy Award, uh, of course, for her role in uh, Gone with the Wind. Now, Sam here was born in Wichita, Kansas, to former slaves. And in 1900, wow. the family moved to Colorado, where he grew up in Denver and graduated from Denver East High School. Sam McDaniel is known almost exclusively for playing the butler, doorman, valet, yeah. porter, and servant, you know, roles in films. Uh, fun fact, though, here, he's the only African-American to ever appear on I Love Lucy. You're kidding. He played, he played Sam the Porter in a 1955 episode. And I noticed he's uncredited in so many of the things he was in. I, I would say better mm -hmm. than half, maybe even, you know, three quarters. Yeah, well, between 1929 and 1950, he made 210 film and TV appearances. Wow. So, yeah, that's uh, you know, 20 years, 210 yeah. you know, appearances <laughs> in that time. He stayed busy, even if he wasn't always credited. You know, I guess he uh, still put food on the table. Oh, definitely. I was more surprised that he wasn't credited. But, you know, again, we kind of every once in a while we speculate that maybe it's a sign of the times that uh, people sure. don't get as much credit just due to their race. Well, we'll get into some synopsis here. This will probably be a fairly short one because this is a comedy. And uh, as we've discussed before, comedy is very hard to try to talk about <laughs> and try to describe. And towards the end of this film, it gets a little kind of the madcap slapstick kicks in. And that's when I just I kind of throw in the towel. <laughs> <laughs> and as I... I, I texted Lydia earlier today and said that this synopsis was tough because there's a lot of scenes where it's just people in a room being funny. Yes. <laughs> you can't, can't really describe that. Well, Ghost and the Guest. It's Webster Fry's wedding day, and he has been trying to call his fiance, but her line has been busy for hours. Fry's, I called him his chauffeur or manservant. Uh, Harmony comes into, into the, I guess, I think he's actually at the... Uh, I don't know where he's at. Like at the train station or something like that. I couldn't quite figure out. Uh, me neither. He's in some public place. He's on a pay phone. He's, yeah, at a phone bank. <laughs> so, so Harmony comes in, tells him that it kind of gives him a warning that if this fiance is anything like his wife, she's just gonna she's just getting warmed up. <laughs> I think what do you say? Blabber, blabber, blabber. She could give an aspirin a headache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first of many many quips that are really funny and by him in this movie. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. After trying one last time and still getting nothing, Fry says that once they get married, he is going to start setting some rules. That's one of the first things I'm going to insist upon when we're married. No long-winded conversations. That's it, boss. You've got to be firm with them. Now, take my wife, Vince, this morning I bowled out about being so extravagant. What happened? I'm giving up cigars. You know, I suppose a guy shouldn't talk about his bride on the day he's going to be married. But my fiancé sure cops the prize. Compared to her long-winded conversations, a fireside chat sounds like a ten-word telegram. Yeah, so their one, one rule is no more long-winded conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, if you're married, that is funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things you heard in the last bit of that clip there is he mentions that she makes a fireside chat look like a like a telegram well that gives fry an idea and so he phones the telegraph service well we cut to jackie's apartment and she's still on the phone discussing her wedding and her future as a couple of and a couple of her girlfriends are sitting by as she's talking on the phone when a telegraph arrives 
and Jackie holds the phone long enough to read the telegram, which reads, Darling, will you please get off that blankety-blank phone? I love you. Your fiancé, remember? <laughs> I love this, that, you know, he's trying to call her and trying to call her, and he finally just sends her a rush telegram. <laughs> you know, today we'd hop in a car and drive over, I suppose, but... Yes, I suppose so. Or he just text her. Te- there you go, just text. It'd come through. <laughs> I like his use of the blankety-blank in the telegram. <laughs> and he does something similar that uh, early on when he's on the phone, we, he's, he's getting up and upset, and he's like, oh, <laughs> and he turns around and sees there's a young woman behind him. He's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Jackie finally hangs up, and then Fry finally gets through. He tells her that he had made reservations for a trip to California, but he found out that she canceled them. He'd like to know why. Well, she tells him that it turns out her father bought them a house in the country, and she thinks that would be the ideal place for their honeymoon. A farm? Are you kidding? What do we know about farms? You'll love it, darling. I haven't seen the place, but the man said. What man? Oh, Wed, you know you're always talking about having a little place in the country where we could raise things. Vegetables, I mean, and pigs, chickens, and horses. They're man's best friends, you know. Yeah, I can just picture it. One of them running across the room, hippity-hop, hippity-hop, and jumping right into my lap. Oh, darling, it'll be heavenly. The smell of the dew on the grass, the smell of the good earth, the smell of the new mown hay. Yeah, I can see the aroma from here. What about that flat I rented? Flat? Don't be silly, darling. We can't keep a cow in a flat. Oh, so a cow goes with the place, too, huh? No, but I just bought one. You bought one? Why? Look, sweetheart, I don't know anything about cows, and I'm certain that you don't. Well, Harmony could be there to teach me. Harmony? <laughs> he doesn't know anything more about cows than we do. Wait, I'll prove it to you. Harmony, if you were on a farm and you wanted some milk, how would you get it? Now, speak up nice and loud so Miss Jackie can hear you. That ain't no problem, Mr. Whip. All you have to do is set out a bottle and the milkman does the rest. <laughs> well, you heard him. I guess that settles it. From now on, we leave the farming to the farmers. Oh, yeah, and I love him, you know, when he says, I, you know, I'm, when I make up my, you know, I've made up my mind. I've made the decision, so, you know, don't argue about it. <laughs> I think my favorite, my favorite moment in that, in that clip was, he's like, I don't know anything about cows. I know you don't. And she's, <laughs> and where she's like, well, Harmony can show us. <laughs> Harmony, like, nice and loud. What, what does it take? <laughs> yeah, how do you get milk in the country? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just put the jar out. You just put the bottle out. The milkman does the rest. <laughs> Well, since no one knows anything about farming, Fry says that he'll reinstate the tickets to California. No use arguing about it. He tells her he is putting his foot down. He tells Harmony, after hanging up, that you have to be firm with them. Got to be firm with them, Harmony. That's what I always says. But what I says and what I does ain't always what I do. Well, the couple are married, and they arrive not in California, but at the farmhouse. (laughs) But Harmony said, what does he say? Uh, welcome to California. And they're obviously oh, outside he's like, the California, park. here we there ain't. <laughs> well, this place needs a little work. Well, looking around outside, they notice a man at the end of the veranda who's tying a noose. <laughs> Fry thinks it's best to leave, but Jackie goes to meet the man. Having fun? Just a bit of practice. Oh, professional hangman, huh? Not anymore, just switch the gas. Oh, I see you've uh, retired. By request. They said hanging was old-fashioned. Have you ever been hanged? Who, me? Got a good neck for it. 
I bet some of your hangings have been masterpieces. Only had one bad one. Rope trouble? No, a uh, receding chin. Receding chin. Oh, the rope slipped. Yes, he fell off the scaffold. What happened? Broke his neck. <laughs> Yeah, uh, poor Harmony. I feel really bad for Harmony with this thing, the way this guy is eyeing his neck. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's just weird. It's just, it is it's just beyond, odd. it's just weird. At one point, yeah. what does he say? He says, have you ever been hanged? <laughs> you, <laughs> Me? You got a good neck uh, for it. Um. <laughs> if I had been, I might not be here. <laughs> <laughs> I found it a wee bit uncomfortable because Harmony is, of course, a black man. And we this is early 1940s. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. I, I take it they're obviously not down in the South. They're, they're probably in New York somewhere, and, upstate. Yeah, and I didn't take it as being a racist comment, just that this guy. No, I, I'm not saying nut. that it was a. Yeah, I just I yeah. take it as he's just this creepy guy that loves to hang people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I don't think it was meant to be racist or anything, but there's still that, you know, Harmony may know people. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Sorry, I've taken a dark turn yeah. there. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> I think you came yeah. out of this house instead of going into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it turns out here that Jackie recognizes the hangman. He was just in the paper as uh, being the one who hanged the notorious crook, Honey Boy Spriggs. This was apparently his last job, and since he promised to help Honey Boy get rid of this crook that was in his neck, Honey Boy willed him the house. Well, the trio go inside, and it isn't any better than the outside. I love, I love when they're walking in, and uh, he, you know, he says, oh, "Go on in. It's open. It's always open because the lock is broken." And they yeah. <laughs> they walk over, and there's some holes by the door. And he says, "Termites," and the other guy goes, "Bullets." <laughs> and the, and Webb turns or Fry turns around again to leave, but Jackie catches Jackie him and pulls, pulls him in. in yep. <laughs> Well, Jackie is sure there's just some sort of mix-up as far as who owns the house, and she'll call her father in the morning to straighten everything out. This first scene in the house is full of some great lines, uh, but some are just sort of kind of visual, <laughs> or or at least based on the visuals, as well as being spoken, so you kind of need to watch it for yourself. No clip or description would really yeah. work. <laughs> um, Harmony goes out to get the luggage. Uh, the hangman goes to bring in the, the ropes because it looks like there's some rain. <laughs> he doesn't want them to shrink. And he doesn't want them to shrink. <laughs> oh and uh, Jackie goes exploring. Fry looks for a place to put his coat down, but with everything covered with an inch of dust, he thinks better for it and decides to put it back on. As he's doing so, Jackie yells his name from the other room. He rushes in to find that she is just really excited at finding a piano. <laughs> What's the matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? Look, darling, a piano, isn't it wonderful? Oh, uh, it's a little out of tune, I guess. No, it's all right. We're wrong. Darling. Look, I'm your husband. Remember me? The fellow that did with the I-do's this morning? It's no use, Webb. I like it here, and you don't. Oh, it'll be all right. As soon as we get a little paint, maybe some new furniture. And after all, we will be together. That bang when like she pushes the cords and she's like, damn, like that, this horrible <laughs> intro to like a murder theme. I love it. Yeah. Oh, it's a little out of tune. <laughs> <laughs> While the two make up, a delivery arrives outside. Turns out Honey Boy has come home. 
The foreman uh, makes Harmony help carry the casket in. And another great little bit of Harmony there that, that he's like, who, me? He's like, yeah, you. This is a little out of my line. <laughs> Mr. Webb, where is you? <laughs> Again, it's one of those scenes, one of those moments where you got to see his expression and see yeah. how he delivers it. He, it's just He reminds me so much of Alex and the Ghostbreakers with Bob Hope. But it's, okay. it's that type of character, and he's cast very specifically as the gentleman's man that is very afraid. Well, the foreman gets Fry and Jackie to sign for the delivery. Um, Jackie thinks it's just the stuff that she sent up from New York. And uh, so they sign go, for it. I love it. Yeah, they sign for it, yeah. <laughs> and just tell them to put it in a storeroom. They won't touch that for like a week. The foreman tries to tell them that um, you can't leave that laying around for a week. <laughs> but they tell him, hey, just do what my wife said. And he's like, that's your body and your casket, so okay. <laughs> yeah, and I, well, I think there was a bit cut off on the version I was watching where he didn't actually say it, but then mm. Fry repeats and says, just from the penitentiary, what? <laughs> I think there was yeah, some, uh, yeah. some sound cut out right there. It may have been a sound drop off, yeah, something like that. There is some issues with the prints that I could find. Mm-hmm. We'll get into that a little bit towards the end with some final thoughts and stuff. Well, once the Fries have uh, find out exactly what it, exactly it is that they just signed for, they decide that the parlor seems to be a better choice. With a body in their living room, uh, Harmony is ready to pack, and Jackie is actually starting to agree. But Fry has a change of tone. Well, I can think of nothing nicer than to spend the rest of our honeymoon in a mall. Shall I start packing, Miss Jackie? Yes, right? No. I like this place. It's beginning to intrigue me. And when I'm intrigued... I'm a very determined man. Mr. Webb, I wish you'd quit being so brave for all of us. What's the matter? You scared? What are you going to do with the body? Frame it? Oh, now, Webby, don't be like that. Somebody must have arranged to have it sent here. Maybe it was Ben, you know, our hangman friend. Harmony, go get him and bring him in here. Me go get him? Don't argue with her. Do what you're told. Yes, sir. I'm going, but I'll be prepared. It works. What are you going to do? I'm going to call the newspapers and get some publicity. You don't think I'm going to miss a chance like this, do you? You can't do that. I can't, hey? Then we'll throw a party. I'll invite some of your mobster friends. You like those people. Yeah. I'll get fix the place up nice and sweet and get some skeletons and use them for Venetian blinds. Now, let's see, who can I ask? I can ask Peoria Joe, Walla Walla Bolliver, Michigan Fred, Wee Hawk and Bess, I Gin Rummy, Pinochle. Oh, that's what we'll do. We'll play some games, sure. Let's see if uh, we can play duck for apples amongst those guys. I It'll be great. You. Yeah, then we can play pin this stuff on the donkey. And then post office, you kiss you my girl, I'll stick you with a knife. I'll shoot you, bring I'll go to my hip and rat like my hip. What are we getting excited about? There's nothing to be afraid of. Who's excited and who's afraid? That's one side of my nature that never comes up. So while Fry is on the phone, behind him, we see the casket open and a crooked-looking fella sneaks out. In prison gear. <laughs> As Jackie tries to calm down Fry, the man sneaks off and slides in through a secret panel in the wall. Well, now we cut to a police station. The police chief is dictating an apparent crime story to one of his officers when the phone rings, which is apparently uh, someone telling him that the mayor is drunk. (laughs) It seems like a real random scene. (laughs) But it does give you a little bit of an insight into these two guys that are, you know, the only law in this area. True. Back to the house, Jackie has finally calmed Fry down, and they decide to just call the undertaker to have the body removed. So they dial up the police. 
A little later, the police arrive. The Fries try to explain everything that has taken place up to now. Uh, they probably have as much uh, luck as I have here so far. <laughs> they all go into the parlor, and the police open the casket, but, of course, find it empty. Fry and Jackie are thrilled it's empty. <laughs> but the police chief is suspicious. He demands quiet so he can think. A car pulls up outside, and a few guys and their girls get out. The side of the police car spooks one of them, but the leader of the group, Smoothie Lewis, as it turns out, tells them all to play it cool and remember, uh, or remember their parts, and remember, look sad. I love the names in this. They're so, um, <laughs> they, you know, they, they introduce themselves as Smoothie Lewis and Little Sister Mabel and uh, Killer Blake. The names in this are just so, <laughs> they're just so over the top. Uh, mobster mm -hmm. games names and uh and i love you know we kind of get a little bit of an insight to this is where we first meet little sister mabel who is a the definitive airhead she's just yes, absolutely the dumb blonde she's the the, the high-pitched blonde the yeah almost baby talk I'm yeah sad. <laughs> <laughs> well inside the house the chief decides that a corpse can't get up and move by themselves so someone else had to help and so, of course, he looks to the Fry's. That was about then that the doorbell rings and Fry answers it. The group from outside come in and claim to be relatives of the deceased and the family lawyer. They're all surprised to find uh, Honey Boy missing. The chief says the body has to be somewhere, assuming that it was there when the guys delivered it. So they're going to look for it and everybody is going to help. Everyone goes off to start searching the house. Uh, there's a cute line about, uh, we'll start in the basement. Where is it? And Fry just sort of points down. I know that! <laughs> <laughs> well, while the group goes off to look for the body, uh, a very much alive man who we saw slip out earlier uh, is apparently searching for something himself. And that's actually, that's halfway through this film. The film's uh, I think like 55 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's a little less than an hour. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where some of the, the, really, it's just the madcap slapstick that I was describing starts to kick off. <laughs> Honestly, that's that's where my synopsis ends. It does slow down at least one more time after they kind of do the quick search. Everyone ends up spending the night in the house. And there is that scene where uh, Fry and Jackie are reading from, apparently, the chief's story in some magazine. And it's um, pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the poor newlywed couple, or it's their it's their wedding night, and their bedroom is completely filled with literally everyone in the yeah. house, <laughs> including <laughs> including the one police officer who comes in after everyone else had comes in. He's like, "Yeah, chief, I was just kidding. Kind of, it seems silly for me to be downstairs with anybody to watch." <laughs> yeah, but definitely after that, it is when some pretty uh, pretty crazy stuff starts going on, and we get a little bit of a. Oh, it, it stops being, I guess, a ghost story and obviously turns into the, you know, some, there's a mystery going on. Obviously, uh, some, there's something in the house that some, that everybody wants and they think everyone else has it. <laughs> yes. And I, there, I mean, there's so many things that it, it's almost like this is where the movie actually starts or where the action actually starts. Um, it is. It's with, about a half an hour. It's almost exactly halfway. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, with uh, Fry getting accidentally 
put in rooms with women that he's not married to and, <laughs> um, you know, dummies falling out of closets and, and it just gets crazier and crazier. And, uh, and mm-hmm. then at some point Jackie tells, uh, gosh, one of the, or tells the, the guy who's posing as a lawyer that smoothie uh, Lewis yeah, or whatever, yeah. <laughs> that he's Bobo, somebody, the, the Chicago crime <laughs> lawyer or something like that. And it, it just gets escalated and escalated. But as you said, Christopher, it is one of those things where so much of it is physical comedy and one-liners that it's really hard to just explain it without literally going through the script line by line. Exactly. Uh, and it, it, there is some really funny stuff. Uh, again, on our Facebook group, um, I, you know, I posted the video after I put it to the YouTube page, and Pete Quint started watching it, apparently. And he was, like, giving r- running commentary as he was, like, as some of the best lines came up. He was repeating the lines in the Facebook joke. He loved this movie. He's, <laughs> <laughs> like, his first comment, she can give an aspirin a headache. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the first line that made me laugh out loud, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the first one that did it for me was Harmony's uh, what I says and what I does isn't what I do's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that did it for me. My thoughts on the film, though. I mean, there are some funny lines. There, It is some really good stuff. I'm, I, And I, like I said, I, I really liked um, Sam McDaniel, you know, Harmony Jones' character. But through the most of the film, though, I kept being reminded, and you kind of hit on it, too, where you were saying that, the, he reminded you of another character. Mm-hmm. There are so many moments where just about everybody reminded me of better comedic actors. <laughs> or just better, the way or better it, characters, at least. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, like, it, it depended on uh, who was with who in a scene. Like, when Fry and Harmony were together, they reminded me of Jack Benny and Rochester. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Fry was with Jackie, he reminded me of... Uh, uh, George Burns and Gracie Allen. Or Nick and Nora, yeah. Uh, there's a, a moment or two where I Fry kind of, and I keep calling him Fry, James Dunn, the actor, <laughs> he, uh, he reminds me of like even like a Lou Costello. And it's just, I, I just constantly being reminded of all these, what I would consider sort of um, actors that are better at the craft, mm-hmm. I guess, than James Dunn. It doesn't surprise me that he didn't really have the star-studded, amazing career. It actually surprised me to find out he had an Academy Award. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, well, maybe drama's more his strong suit. But apparently that award didn't really do much for him because his career just sort of, that was his high point, And then it just petered out after that. Well, and it's probably worth noting, too, that, you know, as you mentioned, the director of this film, he was running about five movies per year while he was running Mm -hmm. through these, Um, you know, and the writers were doing five movies a year and the actors were doing five movies a year. And this was really this was a product of the Hollywood machine. This wasn't intended to be a big blockbuster. It was intended to keep the movie houses open. Uh, which sure. is totally the wrong the theaters sorry i'm in the us <laughs> yeah. but you know that was the point of this type of movie i think was just to have something else to keep people coming back to the movie theaters until something big came out and i think it it reflects how quickly it was made and how mm-hmm. you know these the people in this had maybe 2 months to dedicate to it it was very quickly made and very cheaply made and that's reflected and not necessarily it doesn't say, oh, this makes it a horribly bad movie. It's just a product of that time. And being a product of a time, too. Also, 1943, can I think, you know, there's a war going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is definitely a film where I think it is a case of 
go to the theater and kind of leave your worries behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it definitely uh, fills that need. But yeah, I mean, that being said, it's just, um, yeah, there's moments that I really loved, but overall, it's kind of an unremarkable film. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the quality of the prints that you can find online are just uh, not great. They're not. I mean, I, the one, the best I could find, I still had to um, try to lighten up a little bit uh, when I posted it to... Um, to YouTube. To YouTube. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> And even then, it's just it, there's only so much you can do with it. I, this is a film that I really I wish I could see a good like restored original print kind of thing, mm-hmm. and maybe that would change my my view on it. Because that I can't help but throw that a little bit into my enjoyment of the film is that there are moments when you can't see any of it. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely <laughs> true. And you mm-hmm. you can understand what's going on from the dialogue, but it is very very dark. If I were going to give it a rating, if you want to go ahead and start talking that, I'll let you uh, go first. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm only gonna, I'm going to give it a two and a half, and it is just literally middle of the road. And it's just there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but there's nothing really remarkable with it. And it it, it is funny. There are some funny moments, but like I said, it just kept reminding me of funnier people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, two. I think two and a half for me it just seems fair because I don't want to knock it. But I can't praise it either. Yeah, and I think that's spot on with what I would say as well. And for me, again, it goes back to that, you know, quickly made movie of this era when they're just trying to crank out stories. And uh, there's not a lot of attention paid, I suppose, to it as a craft in this particular film. So it's entertaining. It's it, it's unique in that it is its own movie. It's not a remake of another. But mm-hmm. every theme in it has already been done and has been done since many, many times and better, as you said. So I think two and a half is fair. I was At first, I was surprised by the rating on IMDb. It shows just a four and a half out of ten. But then, you know, after seeing, you know, some of the um, the film, error, film issues with it and then some of the audio problems and then, you know, again, it's entertaining, but it's not phenomenal. So that rating started to make more sense to me the more often I watched or the more times I watched it, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, if it was something where a better print would would arrive or rise, it's a film that I would throw on every now and again and watch just for the sheer heck of it. Yeah, I see. I would um, go back to the Ghost Breakers every time, I think, because mm-hmm. it is. I mean, it's a very similar story, except it actually does have a ghost in it. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, it's Paulette Goddard, Goddard Bob Hope, and I, uh, and Cesar Romero plays a very young Cesar Romero's in it. And uh, it's a similar theme, but just so much better done a, a decade later, but still much, much better done. Oh, I'm sorry. Not not a decade later. Um, actually, a few years earlier, about three years earlier. So, uh, as a litmus, it it holds up much much better than this one. Well, maybe that makes sense too. Is where the the story and everything came from. Is maybe was a uh, quote unquote inspired uh, yeah. by some <laughs> things that have come before. And it's not surprising that that happens. And then what I'm saying too with the uh, reminding me of other comedians and everything. You know, the screenplay was written by a comedy writer who probably, if he hadn't already written for them, would go on to write for Jack Benny mm-hmm. and, you know, George Burns and, and, and the like. So it's not surprising that you know, there's so many similarities and, and, and things that remind you of other uh, performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
So yeah, like I said, this was a short one. It is a short film. It is only like 55 minutes. Uh, we only went through half of the synopsis. There are some fun things that go on. I mean, even after I decided to stop the synopsis, I kept watching for another 15 yeah. minutes or so. <laughs> I think I just... watched it the whole way through, even after I knew. Usually we end right around the middle, but I just went ahead and finished it. <laughs> well, I, I would have uh, probably gone ahead and finished it, but I had some other things I had to take care of. The time came, so I had it, so I stopped it. So I'll probably go ahead and finish it and, or maybe even watch it again. <laughs> well, um, it's probably worth mentioning. I think I watched it five or six times just today. Um, oh. As background noise. <laughs> oh, sure. So, okay. Aside from watching it for notes, you know, it's something you can easily put on in the background and kind of get a chuckle out of when you're making dinner or something like that. So, uh, you know, or checking email or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Not something that I'm going to tell you, hey, go get your friends together and watch it. <laughs> but right. not bad for some background entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's definitely worth watching. It's just not one that you're going to tell all your friends about. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Well, I guess that is going to do it. Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you. We'll come back in in another month with another fun film. And, oh, I didn't even realize. You know what this is? This is the start of our our fifth year. Or the end, our fifth year. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been. This is episode 60. Yeah. So we've been through five years. This is the start of our sixth year. Man, this is our fifth year. We should do something for the anniversary. Yeah, well, absolutely. I know. I'm like, we'll do a giveaway. I, we say at 10, that. Subscribers. You know what? <laughs> you know, I keep saying. I've said every year <laughs> we're going to do something special next yeah. year. We haven't done it yet. <laughs> yeah, something special coming up. Lots of big plans. Yeah. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. By the tenth year, we'll have something amazing. <laughs> absolutely, Orphan Entertainment Live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come and watch it with us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that is going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you have any thoughts or feedback, send those to us at orphanentertainment at gmail.com or join the Facebook group, subscribe to the YouTube channel, all that good stuff. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you enjoyed the film if you watched it. I definitely hope you watched the film before you heard yeah, us talk absolutely. about it because it's really – I don't want to ruin some of the best lines and some of these some of the clips I've played I think may do that a little bit. But uh, we will be back in a month, so in our sixth year. (laughs) I can't believe we've done this for five years. Um, Yeah, so that's it. I'm going to keep rambling. All right, bye, everybody. Bye, and thank you.